What up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and we're going to continue our G1 Climax 32 coverage. This is from July 23rd, 2022. It is night four of the G1. As always, please make sure to like this podcast episode. Make sure you sign up to the Substack newsletter, marieshadows.substack.com where I am covering the complete G1 Climax 32 tournament and also letting you know about the awesomeness, the awesome news that came out about having an IWGP Women's Championship title on the New Japan side in partnership and relation to stardom. I have that right up right on marieshadows.substack.com. It is a newsletter that gets delivered to your inbox daily about wrestling news any type of podcasts, live streams, wrestler interviews, you name it, everything wrestling. Signing up is always free. If you want to unlock all the goodies, you will have to get a paid subscription. However, these episodes of me breaking down the G1 Climax 32 for you guys, because I have been extremely late on giving them to you either on the same day or the next day, Every single one would be free. So that means night four, night five, night six will be free. And then for seven and eight, we'll go back to the free subs and paid subs. So if you do not want your experience to be interrupted at all when enjoying wrestling content from me, then simply take advantage of the G1 sale that I have been running ever since the start of the G1 on July 16th. It is 28% off for one year and 28% off monthly. If you can become a paid subscriber, that is awesome. If you can't, free version still works. You still get a lot of good free content. You could also tell a friend and let them know that if they like wrestling, they can sign up to marieshadows.substack.com. But also when you sign up, it helps me because I am trying to go to New Jersey for a special wrestling event that I got invited to where I want to cover it. And if you sign up, you can definitely help me out. That little bit of extra financial help will definitely help me with transportation since I do not have a car. So, yeah, whichever you decide. Don't forget to sign up at marieshadows.substack.com. All right, let's jump into the review of the G1 Climax 32, night four for July 23rd, 2022. Our opening match is met with C-Block, Zack Zabra Jr. versus Aaron Hanare. Man, this was such a bullshit win for Zack Zabra Jr. again, because for some reason, Zack Zabra Jr. has this bruised rib trope. You know, his bruised rib should have been okay from the first time that this happened to all the way to now. Like, there are certain matches where this bruised rib trope comes up. And I'm like, I don't get it. If you have a bruised rib, it's going to be a lot harder to breathe. It's going to be a lot harder to move around and do certain moves. And Zack Zabra Jr. should be relying on his technical skills especially when something like this happens, because you can sort of control 
what you're doing if you have bruised ribs is not like you're trying to suplex the guy if you're suplexing the guy with a bruised rib it's not going to go well because that's going to hurt you're straining your muscles you're straining everything where it's just going to give out and then your opponent has the upper hand i do want to say though that despite Hinare using his power against Zack Sabre Jr. And someone of Zack Sabre's frame as a wrestler should not really be absorbing all of Hinare's powerful attacks. When Hinare just increased his muscle mass and his weight and every single powerful attack that he was giving to Zack Sabre Jr., it's like if you keep absorbing it, eventually it's going to catch up and you're going to be fatigued enough to not get the win over Hinare. Which, yes, sorry, spoiler alert, Zach Zabel Jr. gets his two points and I will explain how he gets his two points in a little bit. But because Hinare has that extra mass on his frame and doing all these powerful attacks, these strong attacks to... Zack Zabel Jr. Zack Zabel Jr. should not have gotten the victory, but I understand why he got the victory. I just wish that Hinari would have kept the pressure on Zack with a lot more attacks, no wasted movement, none of that. Because the moment that you give Zack Zabel Jr. a moment or an inch to think about his next move on you, that's when you know you're going to lose. Now, we have seen a really great growth in Hinare and his character and his promos and his wrestling style. Everything has improved ever since joining the United Empire. There's a huge growth there. It still needs some more ways to go, but he's further along than what he would have been if he would have continued to be Toa Hinare. So... You know, I'll give him some slack, but I still think that to have a really, really great match would just be keep the pressure on your opponent. Don't have any wasted movements, any wasted time, because in that little split second, your opponent could definitely probably see something in your armor or your guard, break it, and then you end up losing and you're like I should have covered all my grounds and even try to think steps ahead of your opponent in the wrestling ring it's always about playing chess and not checkers with your opponent so let's get to how Zack Zabel Jr. wins against Hinare as you know Zack Zabel Jr. is a technical wrestler so he has been trying to dismantle Hinare in a very technical way by working on body parts and trying to find the best way to take Hinare off of his game. Hinare, on the other hand, is using a lot more powerful attacks, a lot more powerful strikes and kicks, and really going in with a lot more power towards Zack Zabie Jr. However, it gets down to the final moments of this where Zack Zabie Jr. is now attacking the surgically repaired Achilles of Hinare. It is well documented that the Achilles 
injury had kept him out for a year. And sometimes wrestlers don't fully recover from it. Some do, but then might still have some like nagging problems with it. So Zack Sabre Jr. targeted the Achilles ankle from time to time, just very sparingly until the very last moments of the match where he continued to attack it and decided to put Hinare in this Achilles ankle hold lock where he sat down on the mat and really locked it in. And that's where Hinare tapped. And during the backstage promo of Hinare's words, he wasn't even upset as Xavier Jr. for going after the Achilles because as far as I know, and watching Hinari's matches, no other wrestler has went after his Achilles the same way that Zack Zabra Jr. did. Every one of his other opponents in their matches always try to go either pound for pound with Hinari, strength for strength, and actually have a wrestling match. So he wasn't upset at Zack for doing that. However... In Zack Zabra Jr.'s backstage comments, he basically thanked George Michael again for showing him how to defeat his opponents. And in this one, George Michael came to him and told him about Aaron Hinari's Achilles. And I'm just like, can you stop referencing George Michael and Prince and stuff like that's probably the reason why I don't take Zack Sabre Jr. seriously, even though he is a really good technical wrestler. But I don't take him seriously when he starts mentioning just random things in his backstage comments that have nothing to do with his opponents like 90 percent of the time. And it's like, Zach, how are you ever going to break your own ceiling if you keep doing this? At least Hinari acknowledged the fact that you decided to go after his Achilles and acknowledge you as the better person in that match and wasn't even upset. And then to hear your backstage comments to be like, oh, George Michael told me about Hinare's Achilles. It's like, why are you making fun of it? Like, it just seems like it wasn't like a serious thing. Like, just brushing it off as, yeah, the ghost of George Michael's told me this and that. Zack Zabra Jr. and his bruised rib trope, along with George Michaels, picks up two points in the G1 Climax. Our second match of the G1 Climax 32 for night four is D-Block Yoshihashi versus Shingo. This match felt like a test for Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi in this G1 tournament, basically the people that he's facing don't really believe that he should be in here. Don't really believe the caliber wrestler that Yoshihashi is. Yoshihashi is a good wrestler, but I just don't gravitate towards him to be like, oh my God, he's the best. He's really good at what he does. I just need to see a little bit more or just something different. But when he's in the ring, he does deliver. So he's definitely a good wrestler. But like I said, he's just not for me. But I will give him praise and props when it is needed. 
I think part of me just doesn't really believe in Yoshihashi, but again, I do enjoy his wrestling from time to time, depending on like who he's fighting. Shingo feels more of the father figure to most of these guys that basically pushes them to their limit and basically lets them know like you got to show me your best. If Shingo is putting in 200% of himself in the wrestling matches, you cannot give any less than that. He won't accept it. He will definitely expose you and you'll have to climb that hill back up in order to reach him at that 200%. This one was a good match back and forth. We get some forearm exchanges until Yoshihashi does a low drop kick to Shingo on the outside. Shingo sends Yoshihashi into the guardrail. A jumping senton by Shingo. And then a vertical suplex to Yoshihashi by Shingo. And then Shingo puts Yoshihashi into a Cobra twist. There's some elbows, some double axe handles. A lariat into a neck breaker. Some chops. This was an all-out battle between two good wrestlers in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And it definitely felt like who could one-up who with their attacks? Shingo does deliver some powerful strikes to Yoshihashi, such as rapid-fire punches, followed by a jab and that pumping bomber finisher move that he does however Yoshihashi has a heart of gold and ambition and kicks out he's not going to be showed up by Shingo at all at this point both men are exhausted Yoshihashi definitely goes for his finisher karma but he cannot follow up with a cover to Shingo Shingo's power just fatigues other wrestlers to the point where that big moment after hitting your finisher, the other opponent can't roll over to get the cover, which is very smart. Which brings me back to the other point of the first match of if Hinari is going to be using a lot of power moves, power strikes and kicks. That fatigue of doing it for 20 minutes to his opponent like Zach Zebra Jr. should definitely show in the match. The same way that Shingo and Yoshihashi were showing the fatigue and the counters when Shingo did Made in Japan to Yoshihashi in this match, Yoshihashi kicks out of that. Made in Japan is Shingo's other finisher. So you would think by hitting that, it will end the match. But Yoshihashi kicking out, not wanting to lose basically drains more of his energy gives him a little bit more fatigue and Shingo is having him work for this victory because Yoshihashi decided to kick out so now Shingo has to turn it up a little bit more to fully exhaust his opponent and that's a takeaway that Hinari versus Zack Zabel Jr. should also have all of the power strikes that Hinari was doing to Zack Zabel Jr., him kicking out every chance he got. He should have got a little bit more fatigue and eventually that should have stopped him, even though he is a technical wizard. Sometimes when your limbs and fingers don't want to put a grip on 100 percent, you're basically done. Your body is like, I am exhausted from this. 
So it gets to a point in the Shingo versus Yoshihashi match that Yoshihashi does a destroyer to Shingo. And then another move to follow that up. And then Shingo kicks out. So Yoshihashi really can't believe it. No one could believe it. It is a crucifix pin with a semi-clutch that gives Shingo his victory in this match and gives him his two points for the G1 Climax 32. Sometimes the little things in wrestling counts and the little things in wrestling sometimes are overlooked, such as a simple roll-up, the O'Connor roll, a crucifix pin with a clutch, any type of pin with a clutch sometimes gets the wrestler. However, this works here because Yoshihashi was fatigued as much as Shingo, but Shingo was able to use his strength and power to make sure that the semi-clutch was there and Yoshihashi could not kick out. And even if he wanted to kick out, that's more energy exerted from a tired Yoshihashi that had to endure all of Shingo's powerful strikes, kicks, and definitely his lariats. When you see his lariats thrown to other opponents, they look like they're the strongest lariats in the world. And even wrestlers have said that Shingo has the strongest lariats. So Shingo wins, gets his two points on the board. Our third match for the G1 Climax 32 Night 4 is A Block Yano versus Okada. Yano, for this match, came out as his dangerous self with the dyed hair, the alcohol. It's not the funny comedy Yano you guys know before he was funny and comedic he was definitely dangerous you can think of him like a deathmatch wrestler since deathmatches are all the rave now all the craze so you could think of him like that Yano does have a violent streak to him and in order to fight Okada you need a violent streak to fight Okada because Okada does not care. Okada looks at every match as a match, a wrestling match, even if you're friends with him. He will do what needs to be done in order to get a victory for himself. So in order for Yano to fight Okada, he definitely had to go back into his violent self. This whole entire match was about that Okada was fighting violent Yano. And then after the match, Yano became Yano and apologized to Okada for the things that he was doing in the match to him. Yano tries to jump Okada before the bell. Yano is choking Okada with the t-shirt that he always advertises. However, Okada sends Yano to the outside. Yano is able to throw Okada into the guardrail and then Yano uses the chair. He hits Okada on the back. And then Okada is sent back first into the guardrail. Okada manages to throw Yano into the guardrail to see how he likes it. We get a drop toe hold on the chair. Okada almost gets counted out. 
this is like Yano's thing. If he could get you counted out, he would take that as a victory. We saw it with Yano versus Jonah, how he got him counted out. So Yano does not really care how he wins a match as long as he wins a match. We get Okada running into the exposed corner because somehow Yano took that pad off and the exposed steel always gets used as a weapon. We get a DDT by Okada. That DDT that Okada does always gets him out of trouble. We get a near fall. We get a catapult into the corner. Okada comes in with a neck breaker drill type of move. We get a demon powerbomb by Yano to Okada, which is basically Undertaker's last ride powerbomb. Again, we get a DDT to Yano on the chair, though, and that sets up Yano to have Okada put the money clip on him. Throughout this whole entire G1, Okada has been trying to get the money clip over, which is a submission he's been working on, which is great because most wrestlers need either a submission added to their arsenal if they don't already have one, rather than just relying on their finisher, in this case, the Rainmaker. Because for years, Okada has been relying on the Rainmaker and then he introduced the money clip, which I think is a pretty unique submission move. So during this whole G1, he has been submitting his opponents with the money clip. He turns the money clip into a lariat. Yano then manages to spit out some liquid, maybe some of that alcohol that he brought with him at the beginning of the match tries for a roll-up on Okada. Okada kicks out. Yano then tries to go for a low blow, which is his patented thing that he always does. And you'll hear Kevin Kelly on commentating go, oh, my monitor, means Yano did a low blow. In this case, Okada catches the low blow because he knows Yano. He knows all the tricks. We get that beautiful Okada drop kick and then a backbreaker. And then the money clip is reapplied to Yano. Yano taps out and that gives Okada two points in night four of the G1 Climax 32. Usually I say fuck Yano, but I really don't have to because Okada won, got his two points and I'm good with that. Like I said, Okada is definitely not taking it easy on any one of these guys. Our final match for the G1 Climax 32 Night 4 is B-Block Ishii versus Jay White, who is our IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. I know I've said it before that I'm a little exhausted and tired of covering matches that have Ishii versus Jay White. I do respect them both as in-ring competitors and definitely Jay White with the more better promo skills than Ishii. Ishii barely cuts promos. He really doesn't have to. What you have to understand about Ishii is that, yes, he is a stone pit bull, which basically means that he can absorb a lot of punishment and definitely bring that punishment back onto his opponents like tenfolds. 
So whatever he absorbs, it's getting right back to you. My thing is that Jay and Ishii have fought so many times because I have covered it throughout the whole entire 2019 when he came back after losing to Kota Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom. And it was just a series of JY versus Ishii, whether that's one on one or in trios matches or in tag matches like I covered it all. You can go into my backlog of the Square Circle podcast of the 2019 era and definitely listen to those reviews. So I'm thinking, what else can they do? What else can they show me that I could still be like, this is a really good match. And they really did. They really made this match super good with the storytelling. And it's not that like... I want to doubt these guys because they're very good at what they do. This is why it's called professional wrestling. They are professionals at what they do. And they're able to turn out a story in this match, even though I've seen them wrestle a lot of times. I really do think that Ishii's main problem with Jay is he doesn't see Jay as being a humble person in the position that he is in the company. Or just being a humble person in general. And of course, Jay has a loud mouth and the things that he says may or may not get under your skin, depending on the situation and what he's talking about. But when it comes to Ishii, Ishii has done the hard work and took the long road in order to get to where he's at in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So he believes that working hard, taking the long road, no shortcuts And being grateful for the opportunities to have in New Japan Pro Wrestling or just have in wrestling in general makes your career that much better. So Ishii stands on tradition. Probably Jay stands on tradition too, but his career skyrocketed so fast without cutting corners. Jay never cut corners, but his career rocketed. But his career went up so fast because of the positions that they put him in and the way that he delivers, the way that he commands the crowd, the way that he commands the stories of that he tells with every single opponent he's ever had. The difference between Jay and Ishii is that Jay is louder than Ishii. Ishii is good. Ishii is a stone pit bull. Once this guy gets to a certain point in a match and you see his eyes sort of like go black, go glossy. He's definitely going to beat the shit out of you. Jay, on the other hand, manages to get under your skin with the things that he says and the ad libs that he throws out at you during the match. And he makes you doubt yourself. And so you can breathe with Jay White. You can breathe with the switchblade. It's all a psychological game. While with Ishii, it's all about a physical and how much damage you can take kind of game. The two complement each other very, very well, because as much as Jay gives Ishii a lot of powerful strikes when he can or some very smart strikes what jay loves to do is have ishii on the outside again i say this in every single podcast if you are facing jay white do not fight him on the outside he's going to use the outside to his advantage like he kept throwing ishii into the guardrail he will work on ishii's ribs so it could be harder for him to breathe and again like i said that's jay white wanting you to breathe with a switchblade if he can control 
the way that you breathe control the match dictate the story you are breathing with the switchblade ishii sometimes gets into his head that he has to follow jay wherever jay goes because he gets a little annoyed that jay doesn't want to have a clean fair fight but once they have a clean fair fight in the middle of the ring it is magic it is beautiful both guys give it their all both guys return with so much power depending on what the move is most of the time ishii delivers very powerful strikes to jay white that has jay white falling directly in the middle of the ring like a bag of potatoes really cliche as that is but both men really really give it their all in this match and the magical thing in this match was the fact that they were countering each other's moves until somebody decided to slip up and that is when jay white will deliver the blade runner to ishii cover him one two three and get two points for night four in the g1 climax 32 now after every single main event the winner gives a speech jay white is known for giving great speeches at the end of his matches this one in particular was just making fun of the clap crowd because i really do think that everyone in new japan is so over the clapping of the crowd because everyone is still following COVID protocols. It is not until we get to September after the G1. That's when people can start making noises in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I have seen on the Internet, especially Twitter, where people would be like, why would New Japan not have the fans say something? But if they watch a clip of something else, that's not New Japan Pro Wrestling would ask, why are those fans making noise? Well, if you want fans to make noise in your promotion over in Japan, you would have to space them out accordingly. And that means you will be selling less tickets. You will be filling up less seats in order to have people cheer for their wrestlers. If you're watching a clip that is not New Japan Pro Wrestling. New Japan Pro Wrestling is still following the guidelines that the Japanese government put out. So that is why they are still having the fans clap. And Jay White is trying to have them break protocol. He tries it every single time. He did get the Dominion crowd to make some noise because he won the championship title in the same building that he had his final goodbye speech before his excursion. So he basically said to the crowd over there in Dominion, the pay-per-view of New Japan Pro Wrestling, that the fans are his family and that they should make some noise for him. And he got a response. This one here in the G1 for his final main event speech, he does a clap speech making fun of the fans. And it was brilliant. And I'm like, this motherfucker, like this guy. Jay White is always doing something that's a little bit out of the normal when it comes to being a wrestler and how to present your character and how to create promos and how to interact with people like that kind of entertainment, I guess we'll call it is very gold 
and I enjoyed it. I didn't understand a single word. I didn't understand clapping because I don't understand that language. But it seems like the crowd understood it and then they all just gave him a standing ovation. And I just think that's very brilliant, the way that Jay White commands the crowd. Everything that Jay White does is really, really fun to watch. So Jay White ends up getting his two points for the G1 Climax 32. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this review of night four for the G1 Climax 32. Of course, make sure to tell a friend. Let them know that if they like professional wrestling, they should check out me, Marie Shadows, over on Twitter at Marie underscore Shadows, or just sign up to the newsletter, marieshadows.substack.com. You guys could definitely forward any emails that you get to your friends to let them know to sign up. The more, the merrier. It helps out the algorithms. It helps out the subscriber list or the reader list. I'm going to call you guys my readers rather than subscribers. If you're a paid subscriber, that makes more sense. You guys are my readers. You guys are my everything. And I appreciate every single listen. I appreciate every single like, comment, and anything else that you guys want to share and tell the world. This episode is definitely going to be free because I have not been on top of the schedule. So that is my gift to you. But by all means, if you feel that my work and dedication and note taking and anything that you learned about these wrestlers, if you feel like it is worthy of getting a paid membership to marieshadows.substack.com forward slash G132 so you can take advantage of the 28% off for one year and the 28% off for monthly, however you want to do it. That will be fantastic. Please make sure to stay tuned to the newsletter for more future updates and more little mini projects, stories, whatever I want to let you guys know, you'll get it directly to your inbox before the world gets it. So you guys get it first because you guys are awesome. And then the world will get it after they will be knowing it later than you guys. So by all means, head over to marieshadows.substack.com. Sign up. You don't want to miss any more wrestling coverage from me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, covering the full G1 Climax 32. And I'll see you guys on the next one.